You know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. That's why I partnered with Fullscript, an online dispensing platform that only offers curated professional-grade brands that I know and trust. The very same supplements that I prescribe to my patients and take myself. Never counterfeit or expired, always stored and shipped correctly. Just go to DearHoffmanStore.com to start your free Fullscript account. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA-compliant and offers world-class support. Fullscript also gives you access to my custom targeted supplement protocols that combine the products that I recommend to address specific needs, heart health, immune support, and much more. Just go to DearHoffmanStore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll get access to the supplements and features you need to help you achieve your wellness goals. That's DearHoffmanStore.com. DearHoffmanStore.com. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Our guest is Mark Blumenthal. He is founder and executive director of the American Botanical Council. Our subject is herbal medicine. Uh, ABC is celebrating its 35th anniversary. Uh, it's the 40-year milestone for Herbalgram. And Mark is celebrating, well, uh, a 50-year uh, a career in natural products and uh so you're really the go-to guy when it comes to this and you know congratulations on a, on a wonderful career which uh has kind of spanned your your interest in uh natural products you know from your early roots uh living on a commune with nature uh and then uh incorporating re really high level science and rigor to the study of these natural products so it's really i think you've uh taken it to a very very high level um so uh, from our discussion in part one, uh, I got a little bit the impression that this move towards standardized extracts where we focus on one ingredient, you know, one delivering this or delivering that uh, is a plus in the sense that you can rely on the potency of certain products. Uh, but you also kind of harken back to your excuse the pun, your roots in herbal medicine by talking about these natural products as if there's like a suite of different chemicals that work together so that, you know, these herbs deliver a multiplicity of compounds and not just one single thing like like a drug. I mean, the drug drugs are just a single laser-like effect of one chemical, right? Generally speaking, not always, but yes. So, and okay. at the, by the way, it's fun to look at the origin of the word drug, which I think you know, which comes from an old Dutch word, drug, which means to dry, because they used to dry plants to save them for later use as medicines in the pharmacies and the apothecaries. And so the word drug is related to the word drought. It means it comes from the word to dry, because they dried the plants hmm. to make them as medicines. Interesting. Original. So, uh, original. So, so an interesting example of that is, you know, for many years, traditional use of uh, tree bark uh, was used, uh, you know, white willow bark, uh, an example of a product that delivers salicylates and, you know, helpful for relieving aches and pains. Uh, and then along came a guy named Hoffman, my namesake, uh, who came up with the idea, a German guy in the 1800s, who came up with the idea of, hey, maybe we could just purify uh, this and uh, offer it uh, in a chemical form as a pain reliever. And that was the beginning of 
a little company called Bayer, right? So, you know, right. a lot of the medicines we use have their origins in herbal products, but there may be some additional, like a suite of benefits that uh, natural uh, salicylates offer that um, are not present with uh, aspirin, for example. Yeah, uh, it germ there's a German company named Bionorica that doesn't really market much over here, but they have a product that, and there's some other ones out there on the market in Germany as well, that's willow bark extract standardized to the total number of salicin uh, compounds or salicylates in, in there that have both a pain relieving uh, and in some cases maybe an anti-inflammatory activity. Uh, and it's relatively safe to use, and, and it's an herbal extract. You know, even the name for aspirin, acetyl salicylic acid, the term salicylic comes from the Latin word salix, which is the name for willow. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, that's right. That's the botanical about- name for willow, salix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's where the word salicylic comes from. That's where the many modern chem- chemicals used in the last couple hundred years are extracted from a cup from plants took the name of the plant, the Latin name from the plant. So, um, and we could, you know, talk about that till the cows come home. And that's a, and that's a fun conversation to have. But we got to remember that dietary supplements are not drugs. Herbs are, can be sold as drugs and marketed as drugs in some countries where they have a different type of regulatory system. But in the United States, dietary supplements are sold as, uh, herbs are sold as dietary supplements, which is a a class of food as as um, authorized by the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1994. And speaking of milestones, this year is the 30th anniversary of DSHE, which is the acronym mm-hmm. for the Dietary Supplement Act of 1994, which basically gave herbs and other supplements some kind of legal safe harbor from what was previously, uh, in some cases, irrational regulation by the Food and Drug Administration uh, prior to that. On the other hand, to shay means don't shay anything about the potential <laughs> uh, disease treating potential well, of, of, of uh, any kind of these correct. natural products. And we know that they can be efficacious. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things I wanted to bring up is uh, often uh, in conventional medicine, uh, conventional medicine takes a dim view, frankly, of herbs. And so when people are going through certain things like surgery, they're told, don't take any herbs indiscriminately. Don't take any herbs. And what I say is that there may be certain ones that you have to be cautious about because of the potential for bleeding or interference with anesthesia. But uh, what's nice about Herbalgram and some of the research that you do at ABC is that uh, you actually uh, look at some of these issues. For example, what herbs are compatible with chemotherapy? What uh, may actually augment the benefits of chemotherapy? So it's not like a blanket uh, refusal to use these things uh, as adjuncts to conventional medicines or or surgeries. Correct. And what we do actually is look at the medical and cl- and clinical and scientific literature, mainly clinical. We don't get into the chemical studies and the animal studies because there's thousands of those published every year. And there's been an explosion, by the way, in the last 30 or 40 years uh, in research, uh, scientific research from chemistry, pharmacology, toxicology, and human clinical studies. Uh, just, you know, 700-800% increase in, in, in growth in, in the number of papers being published every year, new journals popping up, etc. And of 
papers of various qualities, designs, etc., and journals with the various levels of uh, quality as far as their peer review, etc. But the fact is, there's just a huge area of interest in the scientific community, uh, in academia, in industry, etc. And, and that's that's a good thing because it, what's what it's doing is this. In many cases, it's documenting the relative safety and the, the some of the efficacy and benefits of many of these traditionally used uh, medicinal plants when they were used uh, as teas or whatever. And it's also coming up with some new opportunities for uh, botanical medicine that are not based on traditional use. So uh, the, the research has a, a lot of things going for it. And what we do is, especially with the clinical research, the human clinical research, we summarize a lot of that. We have over 9,000 clinical studies and related scientific papers summarized in our HerbClip database. And HerbClip is something we've been doing for 30, uh, probably close to a little over 30 years as well at ABC. And that's all part of membership at ABC. You can access these two to three page summaries of um, the, uh, the clinical research where we go so far as to not only discuss the clinical protocol and the results, but we talk about and identify what material was actually used in the mm-hmm. clinical study because and, and that's a uh, valuable research i can't tell you what a valuable research that is for clinicians because uh, many there are many yeah. clinicians who listen to this podcast i'm happy to report and uh, you know i, I strongly urge them to uh, join abc and as a benefit you can get access to the herbal gram uh, and the uh, the herbal notes uh, you know that herb database clip. which herb, clip. herb clips right yeah which is really right. a fantastic database. Um, okay, so uh, let's focus on some specific herbs. Uh, one of the herbs that's really been in the spotlight uh, lately is ashwagandha. And uh, I think you published a, a monograph or a series of, of reports on the uh, potential benefits of ashwagandha in, in stress management. Can you, can you speak to that? Well, the, the main thing that I would like to talk about with ashwagandha is you know, it's been used as a as you know it's sometimes referred to as Indian ginseng, which is a misnomer because it's not ginseng, so it shouldn't be considered that. But it's mis 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 uh, misplaced that way or misstated. Mm-hmm. Uh, ashwagandha has been used now for, for people for stress management for thousands of years. It's one of the top most revered herbs in the entire uh, Ayurvedic pharmacopoeia, and that goes back at least 3,000, 3,500 years. Uh, it's interesting that that term ashwagandha is even becoming so commonly known, whereas it was such a difficult, you know, it means smells like a horse, because it's supposedly right. That's what I understand, man. yeah. So it's like a, yeah, like it's a sweaty horse or something like that, yeah. It smells like a horse, because supposedly it gives the man the sexual prowess of a horse, and whether or not that actually happens or not, you know, I'm not able to tell you uh, personally, from any personal experience, <laughs> but ashwagandha is called an adaptogen, and this is a term that means that it helps the body adapt to different types of nonspecific stress. And a little anecdote, if I may, back in 1998 or so, I think the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA, did a special uh, um, edition dealing with what they were calling alternative medicine, and they asked me to write an article uh, on which herbs have documentation for clinical research that would be worthy of physicians to incorporate them or consider incorporating them into clinical medicine. That was a nice invitation for me. And in my article, 
uh, in peer review, one of the uh, peer reviewers objected to my use of the word adaptogen in reference to ginseng. At that time, I wasn't talking about ashwagandha mm-hmm. 30 years ago because it wasn't widely available over here, but ginseng was. I, I used the term adaptogen, which was a term developed by Soviet pharmacologists back in the late 40s and early 50s to talk about natural products that have a high degree of safety that help the body uh, re- conform to or resist stress whether it be fatigue or cold or heat or whatever and at a reviewer re- uh, objected to the term adaptogen and wanted me to use the word tonic hmm. well if i use the word tonic people are going to think geritol or something exactly. and i didn't want <laughs> right. to I, I didn't want to demean the conversation to a reductionist term like geritol, which has so many impl- different implications over here. And the editors would not allow me to use the term uh, uh, adaptogen, so they never published my paper. Wow. Well, but o- Over I, that issue. It's a very real phenomenon, and it applies not just to ashwagandha, but to a whole suite of uh, natural products. Uh, uh, so, yes, so- a- Asian ginseng rhodiola, etc. They're, mm-hmm. they're all adaptogens, and the clinical literature is very compelling on this matter. Yeah. Well, let's uh, uh, switch focus to uh, curcumin, which is, you know, so popular these days, has been in the news, and, you know, appears extremely versatile uh, in a variety of, of applications. Yes, and, and we're, really we're talking about turmeric, mm-hmm. curcumin being a group of uh, chemical compounds that are collectively known as curcumin, but actually uh, uh, curcuminoids, they're called, uh, and, curc- and that's the, the term curcumin is not just one chemical, but it's really a, a group of com- chemical compounds that have similar chemical uh, structure and, and function, the anti-inflammatory, etc. And a lot of people are taking turmeric successfully as, as an anti-inflammatory and other uses. And the interesting thing about turmeric is that it's a common food and spice that goes, his, the history of which goes back thousands of years. And we have a lot of good data showing that, you know, people have been eating turmeric, uh, for thousands of years. And that's what makes, by the way, yellow mustard so yellow, the ballpark mustard, which mm. is different than the Poupon mustard, which is what the natural color of mustard seed is. It's not bright yellow. It's a dingy brown. But the French's and the ballpark mustard that are so bright yellow is because of the turmeric that's added. So when you take mustard, by the way, you're actually taking a functional food. So when I go to a Yankee game and slather uh, mustard on my ballpark but, hot dog. But more it, mustard on your hot dog. It, yeah, it, it, especially it, if you get a tofu, a tofu hot dog. You know, if a vegan <laughs> hot dog with more mustard on it. No, really, I'm 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 serious about for real. It. I mean, I, yeah. I consider I consider uh, ballpark mustard, as they call it, or whatever. Uh, I consider it a functional food because of the turmeric. Now, there is there has been adulteration of turmeric in the marketplace. It goes back hundreds of years because over in India, to make the turmeric powder look more yellowish, mm-hmm. they add lead bromate, which is mm-hmm. lead. Yikes. And it makes it look more yellow. And now we have situation in which the, the, some of the fraudsters are actually putting synthetic curcuminoids in the, in the turmeric extracts. Hmm. So one of the reasons that our program is so successful and being used by so many people in the responsible area of the natural products community is because we're letting people know about some of these pitfalls and the responsible companies are making sure not to buy anything that might be adulterated so that customers get the right stuff and not and not you know not fall for you know the the cheaper stuff that could be uh, have something slipped in there that's not on the label 
I was intrigued by uh, one of your uh, monographs or reports uh, looking at maca, quote, as an alternative to testosterone replacement. And that's interesting because maca is is categorized as an adaptogen. Uh, but is there any truth to that proposition? I don't know that I would say it would be alternative to testosterone therapy, but it certainly be, is a increasingly popular and scientifically uh, supportable uh, assessed potential. I think the research still needs to be there, but I have, uh, but it's it's certainly suggestive and is moving in that direction. I mean, Tamaka comes from the highlands of Peru in the in the Andes, although there was a big furor that came up around ten years ago or so because Chinese buyers were able to get fresh whole maca roots and take them over to China and grow them over there where the quality of the maca that comes out of there uh, was subject to uh, concern by some uh, purists and uh, possible chemical differences somewhat, which raises the whole issue about, you know, herbs growing in their natural state and their natural uh, environment versus herbs that are removed from there and taken Mm. elsewhere. Uh, To what extent does place the the biology of place and even the you know possibly the magnetism and you know the the sun the earth you know the soil etc how does that affect the chemistry of plants and it does uh and it may or may not make that that change and that may be minuscule and not necessarily uh, demonstrable with respect to the taste or the flavor or the pharmacological activity, but in some cases it might. There's a whole uh, concept in Chinese traditional medicine about uh, herbs growing from their natural place and having the higher, uh, being more um, valuable, mm-hmm. because this is where this herb is native. Another, one of the new kids on the block is uh, nigella, or I guess commonly known as black cumin. Uh, am I correct? And it's been popularized recently. Uh, any new research on that to suggest that there really is something there? There's continual information on nigella coming out. People are using it for various cardiovascular and other benefits. Uh, this is something that is from North Africa and Egypt area. Uh, and this is one of the things about the herb market that is so exciting, by the way. There's all kinds of traditionally used food-oriented plants that have a growing number of discoveries for their pharmacological activities, which are consistent with and sometimes beyond uh, what they were used traditionally for. And so this is, makes this very exciting because this is a very dynamic and moving area. It's not uh, just looking at plants and how things were, have, were used 100 years ago or 200 years ago, but things are moving forward because there's a lot of really bright, interested, and very sincere people who care about people's health. They also want to make you know, a commercial success. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, they're using plants traditionally and it's sometimes non-traditionally in different ways, uh, different than what they've been used before. And there's a place for all of this kind of stuff. And you mentioned earlier standardized extracts. I just want to say that there's a whole range of ways to take herbs. And we, we're familiar with taking teas. I mean, when Peter Rabbit had an upset tummy, his mother gave him a chamomile tea. Uh, so we have documentation in the literature that chamomile tea is good for us to have tummy, right? But there's, there's teas. There's there's uh, just powdered herbs. There's fresh herbs uh, used on, on the skin uh, or made into teas, uh, as well as capsules, tablets, liquid extracts made with uh, 
uh, alcohol or water, and then the more pharmaceutically prepared standardized extracts, etc. There's a whole range, a whole spectrum of ways that herbs can be used. And depending on the actual herb and depending on the, its intended use, it may be more appropriate to use one over the other. For example, milk thistle extract, which is the concentrated extract of the seed of the milk thistle plant, uh, the, the, pharmacological and clinical research that was done by the Germans back in the 1980s and 1990s for milk thistle seed for the liver benefits of it pertain to a standardized extracts with like 80 to 90 percent of the milk thistle seed uh, flavonolignans. They're, they're called salimarin, which is one of the, the name yep. for the primary active compounds that are standardized. So the research shows that salimarin concentrated extract are is is beneficial for for various types of liver disease cirrhosis etc but not necessarily taking it as a tea so it depends on the intended use mm -hmm. would also uh, push you know or would determine what form or how it's prepared uh, so this what that's what makes this whole herbal community and this whole herbal world so interesting because there's so much diversity and so much opportunity and and the latest is uh you know accelerated uh, drug development via in silico prediction you know looking at the chemical configurations of you know that some of these plants deliver and looking at their potential against a panel of diseases like kind of a high throughput analysis not just you know trial and error uh in lab animals but you know ways of identifying new compounds that could revolutionize medicine that's true. I mean, we, we've always been uh, reliant on uh, compounds from plants. Plants are the best chemical factories there are. They're still better than anything the humans have put together, although it'll be interesting to see what how AI will affect all that going yeah. forward. That's going to be an interesting area. But the fact is, there's uh, plants know what they're doing, and, they have, and they're much better chemists than humans are. So we still are reliant on plants, you know, for, for food, for spices. For uh, flavor, for medicine, uh, or dietary supplements, and as well as for, for new drugs, etc. And uh, the, the future is just very fascinating. And that's one of the things I love about this work after 50 years, looking forward to the next 50, because there are so many opportunities, and we learn something new every day. There's so much research coming out that it's, it's fascinating. And uh, it's also a way that people can help maintain health in a proactive way, going back to the adaptogen conversation, Ron, you know, the idea of using herbs and other and other supplements and other f foods in a proactive way to enhance immunity, to increase the quality of our life, to actually keep our telomeres as long as possible for longevity, etc. You know, this is something that is not part of conventional medicine. Yeah, and it's, not, it, no, and it's and it's very essential because uh, conventional medicine is delivering you know very very remarkable uh, high tech uh, cures for many uh, diseases. But when it comes to uh, health span, you know a very very important consideration. Uh, a, a recent article in the Wall Street Journal pointed out that people may be living longer, but their health span. Uh, is decreasing. They're spending more time uh, dependent on uh, high-tech medical interventions, drugs, and, you know, uh, heroic surgeries to save them uh, when really we're missing the boat on, on health span. And I think uh, herbs uh, really show tremendous promise in addressing that gap. Uh, how can people find out more about uh, uh, ABC 
uh, remind us of you know what some of the options are because uh, there's a website, but there are also different levels of participation where you can get all kinds of you can get herb clip, you can get herbal gram. Uh, yeah, thank what you. if people want to do a deeper dive on that? So we're at herbalgram.org. We have lots of material that is free. You can just sign up. You can just register on our site at herbalgram.org and get a free newsletter every week, uh, 50 or 52 times a year, called the Herbal News and Events. And it's got all kinds of webinars and conferences and uh, six or eight articles from the last week's uh, media from around the world about herbs, etc., and all kinds of other announcements. That's a free newsletter. It goes out to uh, 40,000 people every week. Uh, you can get it for free at herbalgram.org, our herbal news and events uh, newsletter. And then uh, we have memberships that start as low as $50 a year, uh, health professional memberships at 150 and and uh, we have academic memberships, corporate memberships, and all kinds of ways. We're a membership-driven organization. Uh, we have members in 80 countries around the world, so we're an internet, we've been called an international herbal medicine think tank. But our primary goal is to increase the quality and the quantity of information out there that's science-based, but also rec- uh, respecting the traditional historical uses of ethnobotany. But we're we're interested in medicinal and uh, plants as well as fungi and conventional foods. We published over 70 articles on food as medicine. You're looking at conventional foods and fruits and nuts and not only their nutritional value, but their medicinal value as well. So it's a, it's a website loaded with information. It's not commercial. Uh, we're an independent nonprofit research and education organization, tax exempt in Austin, Texas. But we have people all in 80 countries that uh, read our material every week. Well, once again, I want to congratulate you on a bunch of uh, milestones. The 35th anniversary of the American Botanical Council, ABC, the 40-year milestone for Herbalgram, and your personal milestone of now 50 years of experience as an herbal advocate, uh, consultant, educator, researcher, writer, advisor, and so on, uh, and uh, continued. And I, your your passion for this is obvious and you know i want to wish you many more years of uh stewardship of this very very important project so once again it's great to connect with you mark and uh we'll talk soon grateful for the opportunity thank you for inviting me it's my great pleasure i want to thank you for listening to the intelligent medicine podcast follow us on apple Podcasts, spotify amazon music or your favorite podcast app and get new episodes automatically downloaded every weekday and please give us a rating and review it truly helps new people discover intelligent medicine the intelligent medicine podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine nursing or other professional health care services including the giving of medical advice and no doctor patient relationship is formed the use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is that the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their health care professionals for any such conditions. Finally, please visit drhoffman.com and discover everything Intelligent Medicine has to offer, including frequently updated, unbiased health news and fully vetted product and supplement recommendations. 